It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day, listeners, and welcome once again to the Two Jacks. It's episode 47. In fact, we've been doing it a lot longer than this, but this is the show where we combine all matters, politics and media in Australia uh, with a good, solid look around the rest of the world uh, and see what's going on there. And joining me, as usual, is uh, Hong Kong Jack. And, uh, oh, g'day. I can't believe it, but you're, uh, you're, you're, you're on another public holiday. Well, it was yesterday. On the Sunday? On the Tuesday. No, it was being quite oh, a sorry, hang on. Yeah, look, I'm all over the shop because we had a public holiday, of course, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the, it's actually the first is the, is the day, is National Day. Um, uh, it's the National Day, not from, not from Hong Kong, because we're not a nation. That's right. We're just a city. We're a protectorate. Uh, it's, uh, it's the National Day for the People's Republic of China. Um, uh, celebrating uh-huh. the commencement of the People's Republic back in 1949. Um, and, uh, because the that's, and because that's fit, fixed by the Gregorian calendar and the um, mid-autumn festival, which happened um, on Friday and Saturday, is, is a lunar festival, um, we occasionally get this um, uh, congregation where the, uh, there are three public holidays in three, two public holidays and a, sat, a Sunday, um, Saturday, Sunday, Monday off. And that means that all the foreign, all 350,000 foreign domestic helpers in Hong Kong get three days holiday in a row. Mm-hmm. So and, there'll uh, be a fair amount of uh, activity at the airport, Jack. Well, the two things that happened about this, first of all, people get very upset um, uh, because They've got to look after their own kids and clean their own house. Oh, um, uh, uh, this, this, this coincidence only happens occasionally. It happened the first year we were here, and I was most amused to read a, a very cross letter in the South China Morning Post from a, 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 a woman who said that the Department of Health and Hygiene should intervene because it was very unhygienic for people's flats not to be cleaned for three days while the uh, uh, domestic helpers were on anyone, leave. Anyone think to show how to use a vacuum cleaner? Yeah, I don't think. Well, the vacuum cleaners aren't all that common here because almost no one has carpet. But um, the uh, uh, that that greatly amused. And, of course, having to look after your own kids for three days is difficult because I think there's an ordinance that says you can't cook two meals a day for your own kids without assistance. So, um uh, almost a million Hong Kongers have uh, um, uh, hopped on the plane um, and gone off, gone off to um, Thailand and Bali and, you know. Um, is there anyone le- besides you, is there anyone left there, Jack? Uh, well, there's a, almost as many mainlanders have arrived because it's, it's, it's what's called Golden Week in China. So um, most of the population get a week off. Um, so everyone goes travelling. So the first time um, we really had a big influx of mainland tourists uh, since pre-COVID, but you noticeable on the streets there were very few locals, but lots of people um, doing what passes for travel these days, uh, walking around in pairs taking photos of each other with their phones. 
Oh, very nice. And and I did see uh, in 2018, Hong Kong recorded 3.4 million arrivals over that Golden Week holiday, Jack. Yep. It wouldn't be quite as high this time. No, we used to get about 20 million uh, mainland arrivals a year. Um, uh, so and 3.4 um, of them, basically. What, what in one week, yeah. In one week, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and... Uh, that was, of course, a huge um, fillip to the economy and we've been missing that um, for the last three or four years. A little bit of a sugar hit, but not as much as the pre-pandemic phase, Jack. The green, um, sh- the green shoots of recovery, we hope. Green shoots. Now, there's another cliche that belongs up there with polarisation. Oh, I know. Uh, it's a little bit better than that. Oh, green shoots pretty bad, mate. It's pretty bad. Um, uh, all right. Now, we've got to move on to uh, Matters Australia and uh, enjoy your uh, public holiday and roll around a bit of your own filth there, Jack, um, uh, while the cleaners are away. Um, but uh, can, I, can I just I just add, we have someone who comes in part-time to do a little bit of the stuff that I don't feel like doing, but we don't have a, we don't have a live-in domestic health. All right. Um uh, now uh, you want to look at some of the um, some of the uh, matters arising from from the voice, uh, uh, and I see here if the voice is a simple advisory body, why does it need a whole separate chapter in the constitution? I had a very similar conversation, civil conversation, with a person uh, in my DMs on Twitter about this. If the voice is a simple advisory body, why does it need a whole separate chapter in the Constitution? Why not put it in the executive chapter, making it clear to a future High Court that it is subordinate to Parliament? Uh, This this is the most common question I get asked on text messages. The the, the one that I got asked was, why not legislate the voice and then implement it by referendum thereafter, after it had been bedded down for perhaps five years. Um, so that, that that was that was the that Bill Shorten's position um, in uh, the twenty nineteen election, I think. Right. So is this is this the uh, is this uh, elbows overstep overreach with this? Is that the question that perhaps we should have bedded it down? The argument, of course, is that if you don't. Uh, enshrined in the constitution, or you, I oh know. Well, if you're putting it in the executive chapter, it it, uh, it it can't be wiped out. But the argument is, if you don't put it in the constitution, a subsequent government at some point in the future could come along and wipe it out, a la Ratzik, uh, all those years ago, Jack. Um, um, but if it goes into the executive chapter rather than a, 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 a separate chapter on its own, which will be legislated beyond the referendum, if the referendum succeeds. Um, uh, what's the, is that you, you're getting actual questions on that? Yeah, yeah, people are asking. I, I've, had, I've had quite a few texts about that. Okay, so what's your answer? Um, uh, that would be better than giving it its own chapter. Um, giving it its own chapter invites the High Court to treat it um, as an equal with um, the courts and the executive and the parliament. I'm not sure how that works in terms of interpreting the uh, constitution, Jack, and the high and, court. And the, only, and the honest the answer to that is that. nobody knows. Well, the, the answer to it is the high court would interpret it as not as a separate chapter, but what lies therein in terms of you know where whether it's a separate chapter or not seems to me to be fairly irrelevant. Um, it, it's well, basically I, I, how the black letter 
uh, how the black letter uh, words hit the page of the Constitution. Uh, I don't think the High Court would agree with you that, that there is no distinction in having its own chapter. Well, what's the difference? Um, because it, it, it rises in status by having its own chapter. I'm not sure, I'm not sure that I understand how it can. Um, but we'll move on um, because we're talking about some uh, political consequences. Dennis Shanahan wrote a piece in The Australian. The, just, just before we go on from there, the, yeah. the other question I keep getting asked uh, on text messages from Australia is if, if the idea of the voice is to address disadvantage in the, um, uh, in the Aboriginal community, Indigenous community, and particularly in remote communities, um, and they believe, and and the proponents believe that it's going to fix it. Why would you make it permanent by putting it in the constitution? Surely you would um, um, uh, do this when it fixes that disadvantage. You'd shut it down. When it fixes that disadvantage. So, first thing, acknowledging that it will fix disadvantage. Second thing, um, second thing, we've got a very very long way to go in terms of bridging the gap. Um, no, no, these people aren't acknowledging that at all. They're saying if the, if the proponents say it's going to fix the disadvantage, and the onus is always on the proponents in a referendum, the onus is not on the no case, the onus is on the yes case. If the, if the if proponents believe that it's going to fix that disadvantage, then why do they want to make it permanent? Well, I would think it's going to take a fair while, Jack. I mean, I think maybe But not, a fair so, while is not Maybe not forever. Um, but it does, of course. Why? Why it fundamentally wants to be listed? Why? Why, why the government will legislate in the parliament to um, uh, to insert the voice into the constitution? Um, the the answer to that is that subsequent governments, if it's not uh, constitutionally enshrined, will come along and get rid of it because, you know, due to political expedience or whatever reason, they will just legislate it out. So that's the reason why it has to be enshrined in the Constitution. Otherwise, it will become um, uh, subject to, you know, the, the sort of normal uh, to and fro and cut and thrust of politics. Yeah, um, that's, that's not an answer that's convincing people at the moment, I don't think. Well, you only really need to look at the history of this before why why Howard killed Atsy, um, <clears throat> and uh, and that was highly controversial, of course, at the time. There were lots of accusations of fraud and and, uh, Kill, and killing Atsy wasn't controversial. Killing Atsy um, had wide support across the political spectrum. Atsy was controversial. Atsy. I mean, there were a lump, number of charges, there were a number of accusations made about individual members of, of that sick jack. Were any of them ever charged? Um, yeah, I think the bloke from Western Victoria was charged in the end. Um, what was he charged with? Uh, don't know. Can't yeah. remember. No, okay. Jeff so it was a long time ago, and, and, and but at, at the time, part of the conservative media was saying, this doesn't work because it's been defrauded. And you might remember Sugar Ray Robinson and a few others, and the bloke from Western Victoria. I know you. I know who you mean. Jeff um, but I, Yeah, but I, I believe that was a separate matter, wasn't it? Not so much misuse of funds. Um, no, he, he's he, he's had two battles in the court. I think two separate ones. One, right. one, one, one involved that sick, and one involved um, some other issues. 
Uh, Dennis Shanahan wrote a piece, uh, I introed that just uh, a few minutes ago, uh, that uh, Albanese is refining a new political narrative aimed at minimising culpability for his misjudgment and maximising blame for Peter Dutton. That's an op-ed and a half there, right? right just a, it's a sentence, an op-ed sentence and a half right there, Jack, without, well, now we've got a vote being cast, but when this was written, there hadn't been. Um, and and, and it basically, uh, here's... It, the, the, the op-ed went on to went on to say that basically uh, um, uh, there will be some political fallout. Elbow's trying to manipulate it, so the hard word will come on to Peter Dutton. Um, do you buy any of that, Jack? Um, I, I think I think he's fairly right about the tactic, um, uh, and and I think there'll be a lot of politics played with that. Um, my view is uh, the question I ask is. Would actually getting um, Peter Dutton's support um, have made any difference to what's a likely result? And I think the answer to that's no. Okay. Well, yeah, that's that sits in the realms of uh, of speculation because, of course, Peter Dutton and the coalition, well, certainly the National Party went first uh, in uh, in uh, promoting the no case, and then uh, the Liberal Party under Peter Dutton has. Um, or shall we say the, the the opposition front bench, shall we say the Liberal front bench has, because there are a number of members, uh, parliamentary members of the Liberal Party uh, who uh, who are out there uh, fighting for the yes case, Jack. Yeah. Um, uh, what does Cosimara say? Uh, I think he estimated that, um, this is the Redbridge fellow, that there are 2 million Labor voters who are going to vote no. 2,400,000 Green voters, Jack. Um, uh, which is a staggering sort of number on his on his uh, estimates. Uh, he also did some sort of breakdowns, um, age uh, breakdowns, and the only support, the only group that supports that has majority support for the yes case are um, uh, Gen Zers, Jack. Yeah. Um, uh, where did this go wrong? Um, and it's likely to go wrong. Um, these sort of conversations that we just had about what what we think is right and wrong about the process about the proposal, they should have been had before the proposal was put, and they weren't. Fair enough. Okay, um, I did. And that's, read- and, and that's on the government. That's yeah. on help, and not not just on the government. I suspect it's on the prime minister because I think he drove this. This is a captain's pick. Well, I mean, I think we go back to the comments that he made around the death of um, uh, Yunapingu, uh, where he said that he had promised Yunapingu that he wouldn't water this down prior to Yunapingu's death, Jack. Um, you might remember those remarks. Yeah, I do remember those mark remarks. Yeah, so, and, 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 and I can understand the reason he made them, um, but if your aim was to get a good result through the referendum, um, that was the wrong approach then, I thought, and uh, and I still think it is today. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll know in 12 days or whatever, um, uh, but um, if the blame is going to be sheeted around, it, it really, a lot of it should go right back to the top. Oh, I'm sure it will uh, if it does fail, uh, as as the polling seems to indicate. I think there'll be political consequences both sides um, for this. Uh, <clears throat> and um, and when we're looking at, you know, you had 46% of uh, millennials uh, and and 54% of Gen Zers um, opposed to this. So 
I think there are going to be some really significant problems for the coalition going forward, particularly in the, in the, in the cities where they failed so badly in 2022 in the federal election there. They're not doing enough, in my view, to, uh, to win those voters back in Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, and they're going to rely on really just trying to pick up enough seats uh, in the outer cities uh, of Sydney and Melbourne uh, and then basically fight fight against the nationals for a bit of a slice of regional Australia. Uh, look, the Liberals had that problem before the referendum was announced. But they've made we'll it even starker, haven't they? they, they they've made it even starker now. They've actually drawn a line. I mean, Peter, we, we, we covered this last week. I mean, Peter Dutton actually said that the Liberal Party is the party of regional Australia, and it simply isn't. It's the party of suburban Australia. Um, uh, when Menzies created it, that was that was uh, what, what it was all about. So they've shifted their demographic to a place where there's no certainty uh, that they'll that they'll have any uh, that they'll have any sort of support. Yeah, um, well, that's particularly regional Australia. Would really, all not. of that predates the voice. Well, um, no, no, it doesn't. Peter Dutton was making a comment about the voice when he said that the Liberal Party was the party of regional Australia, which it clearly isn't, um, and that's the problem they've got. Speaking of absurdity, Jack Parnell, Palm McGuinness in the Sunday Age. Did you see it? Uh, she no, said Albo has spent three hundred. Albo has spent $347 million, I don't know where she got that figure from, to make Jacinda Price the next PM. Uh, there I don't are know few where we start with, with that, Jack. Well, there are a few problems with that. Firstly, she's a member of the National Party, not the Liberal Party. Yes, secondly, that's one. In, but secondly, she's in the wrong house. Yeah, in the Senate, yeah. Um, uh, and there's only, only in recorded history, there's only one time a senator has become PM, and that was John Gorton on the death of Harold Holt. Mm-hmm. Um, and they promptly shoehorned him into Harold Holt's seat. Um, uh, and oh, they didn't put him in Holt's seat, did they? They put him in um, – where? Well, who yeah. was he – was he the sitting member? Surely yeah, not. They, 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 they bunged him in. What? Hot set. Keong. Keong, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and. Um, oh, bad for uh, Blake from Double Bay. John Gordon? No, no, he was a farmer from Kerrang. Well, he used to he used to hang around Double Bay. In his yeah, life. he did, but he was a, um, uh, originally, you know, uh, he grew up on a farm in Kerrang and then went off to Geelong Grammar in Oxford from there, but he's a, um, a rural Victorian. So they, I thought um, he was a Sydney sider from that time. Anyway, but, but, but from, from but the time, yes. from the wrong end house, of his, wrong party. From, what else have we got? Um, oh, and she never get enough support. Um, yeah, it's it's just an odd thing, and I know it sort of uh, was mocked on Twitter, but um, it, it's almost like op-ed editors are saying to contributors, "Can you give me your maddest take?" Um, and, uh, and and we'll run with that. It was simply bizarre in its misunderstanding. I mean, what she would expect to say, as you've highlighted, that um, Jacinta Price would move into perhaps Solomon. Now, she had a crack at Solomon and lost in 2019. Was she, she, she had a bit of a swing towards her against a sitting member who was then Warren Snowden. So she would have to compete in a seat like Solomon. Um, and then she... <laughs> For the Liberal Party, not the not the CLP, and then she would have to basically have the numbers in the party room to uh, knock over any challenger. Bizarre, um, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was a a glib throwaway line um, suitable for Twitter, 
um, uh, not for a, a thousand words. Well, yeah, Twitter actually has picked up on it and people are saying, yes, just send a price for PM, just send a price for PM. And you go, well, here's why that doesn't work. Uh, and, and of course, it doesn't. Um, <clears throat> and and you, you basically, when we look at the polling, Jack, um, uh, just to, just to cover the voice, the, the great departure from the from the yes majority occurred in around the time the coalition. So, sorry, I should say the Liberal Party or Peter Dutton's um, uh, leadership of the party uh, decided to go down the no pathway. You actually see that? No, I don't. I, I, I don't agree with that. But that's, a, but that's the timing of it. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yes, it the, is. The, 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 the timing has. If you date the start of the fall of the yes support, it dates from when the proposal was made public, and it has fallen at almost exactly the same rate ever since. I oh, know what but I was what, saying what, was what that, 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 that the yes and no bisected at that time. Yeah, they bisected, but it was already falling. And what that tells me is not that Peter Dutton caused it, but that as people progressively became aware of what was in the voice, they didn't like it. And as more people became aware of what's in the voice, the thing just kept falling. And it's still falling now because more people know what's in it. What that tells me is the problems with what's in the proposal. Uh, good piece of Troy Bramston uh, this morning, Jack. Not, not sure if you read it, yeah. uh, but I, but I'll just uh, just go through it very quickly for our readers. I, I posted it up on Twitter. I thought it was very very good. Um, the No Camp is led by populist reactionary conservatives, many of whom have been propagating lies and misinformation about the Voice, and some have peddled unadulterated racism. Can't. We can't uh, take any of that back. That's uh, absolutely taken place. It has been sickening to observe organisations such as CPAC Australia provide a platform for bigotry and dangerous to see them attack the, attack the integrity of the Australian Electoral Commission. That's in regard to the ticks v crosses. Uh, there is no agreed alternative pathway for reconciliation and recognition offered by the no camp. And that's the truth. I mean, there is no way forward on reconciliation beyond this. And that's the problem. You know, people are essentially voting. If they vote no, they're 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 essentially voting for the status quo. And we've all and we can all agree, if we can agree on one thing, it is that the status quo isn't working. Yeah. Um, this is this is getting back to it's a very poor argument from Troy Branston. This is getting back to the we must do something. This is something, let's do it. And that's a that's a rubbish argument. <laughs> well, no, that's that's you, you, you're summarising probably the best part of a thousand words into into two brief sentences. Yep. And, and and it's good that I'm capable of doing it. But but it is not merely symbolic; it is practical too. These are his words. By enshrining an indigenous advisory body in the constitution, it means the idea cannot be abolished. Future parliaments and governments must have a formalised body made up of Indigenous Australians, chosen by Indigenous Australians, to provide advice on matters that affect them. It is only advice. Whether or not the advice is followed or rejected will depend on the quality of that advice. The genius of this proposal is that the Parliament, the elected representative body of all Australians, remains supreme, Jack. So yeah. it's not as if he's just going, yeah, well, we've got an idea and this is it. It... it, it <laughs> The, the simple fact of the matter is, and I hope people start really thinking about this, the no case, and you've said, oh, well, they don't have to prove anything, they don't have to show anything, but if the no case gets up, the status quo will continue. 
and everyone agrees that the status quo is not good enough. Now, I, I see a lot of people babbling on about, oh, we might legislate and we might do this and, and we'll get out there and we'll help our Indigenous brothers and sisters, um, and, 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 but there's no pathway. There's no pathway. But but the problem that the the voice has got is that the proposal isn't going to be supported by a majority of Australians, nothing like it, in my view. Um, And that's the problem is not with the Australian people, the problem is with the proposal. Look, I I can certainly accept that there was a failure to bring the Australian people along, uh, and that should have been handled uh, some time ago. But it's actually not Labor's responsibility. Yes, it, it is. It, it, well, why would it be their responsibility? Because it's, they're proposing it's basically they're, they're, they're the responsibility the of of the well, fundamentally of the uh, of the National Reconciliation Committee or the Council. Actually. No, the government runs this. Um, the government should have run a process where the wider Australian community were consulted, not just ten percent of the population, but hundred percent of the population were consulted, and they didn't do that. And it's, the problem is not with anything else. The problem is the proposal isn't going to be accepted by a majority of the people. Um, and I, I was even more certain of that watching Q&A last night. Noel Pearson was on there. I'm a great admirer of Noel Pearson, um, but he looked like an angry loser last night. Um, well, I know he, he would probably be reading the, um, uh, be reading the, uh, uh, the polling. Um, there's also... I sort of came across some tweets there um, from the fringe, it must be said, um, where people are suggesting that uh, Noel Pearson and others, other senior uh, Indigenous figures, should be arrested for misuse of public funds, of taxpayer funds. Um, there's a lot of nonsense being done. I, I, I took exception to some of this sort of stuff. Uh, Malcolm Roberts, who's a senator, um, and, and I say that with gritted teeth, uh, he came up with this tweet, uh, a little bit different to what I just proposed, but he's just definitely a fringe dweller. Every Aboriginal I've engaged on, Albanese's voice is strong, full stop, and clear, no, in caps. Every Aboriginal, Jack, is that correct term? Yeah, it could be three, it could be four, who can tell? Um, well, Aboriginal is an adjective, Jack. And these guys, I mean, let's, let's, let's not forget that Paul enhances one nation. Basically, she was disendorsed by the Liberal Party for her comments about Aboriginal Australians all the way back in, ooh, what are we talking, 1996. Um, and, and Malcolm Roberts is a fellow traveller. Um, this is this is one of the things, and I know I, I know I got uh, I know I got a few uh, likes, etc. from from for a whole lot of people. The word Aboriginal is an adjective, and when you get these sort of fringe dwellers, because they've been so long denouncing them, denouncing Aboriginal Australians, Indigenous Australians, which is the right term, you can say First Australian, if you like, but Aboriginal is an adjective. It doesn't take a plural, so it's not Aboriginals. The word would be Aborigine. And because they get to that point and go, oh, uh, Aborigine, that sounds a bit racist. So they're actually not even sure how to use the language properly. Um, uh, and I, I think that's just just awful from a, from a senator of this country, but then we wouldn't expect too much from Malcolm Roberts. Um uh, yeah, just get the language right. I saw, 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 this, saw this guy, another guy who was talking about Aboriginals, all the Aboriginals that I speak to, and you go, mate, do you call them Aboriginals? Do you do that? And maybe if you listen rather than actually speaking, 
um, it might be a little bit different for you. Um, came across quite a few of those people along the line and then you look in their timeline and they want Albanese in handcuffs, they want this person arrested, they want uh, they want Noel Pearson behind bars. I mean, what in the hell? I mean, this is part of the problem with this, re- with this referendum is that it has given rise to these fringe-dwelling lunatics uh, with their nonsense that somehow, and they will come away from this thinking they've had a win. That's what really bothers me. Well, they, really won't have had a win. they won't have had a win, but the government certainly won't have. Yeah, all right. Um, uh, these people, as uh, as followers of the conditional release program, will will tell me bother me intensely. And Malcolm Roberts. Yeah, I mean, well. Troy, Troy Branson starts his article by saying um, the people promoting the voice um, are, are racist, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right. Um, the problem with that approach is that you've got to address the reason why you're losing the thing, and he doesn't. And the reason why you're losing it is because good, decent, ordinary Australians in a majority are going to vote no. And he doesn't address that issue. He doesn't address why they're going to vote no. All right. Well, uh, the polls are open uh, for most of Australia. I think uh, parts of Australia opened uh, yesterday. Today in Queensland, yesterday in New South Wales, I think. Uh, No, 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 not with the public holiday. Um, No, uh, I think uh, New South Wales, uh, Queensland... Uh, are open to maybe Victoria were opened yesterday, I think, and it might have been Tasmania as well. So the polls are open for pre-polling uh, and we wait uh, 11 days for the result. We'll know it fairly quickly, Jack. There are no uh, no preferences to be counted. It's just a simple yes or no exercise. So we won't need clever scrutineers in there mounting up that again. No, up the oh, well, there'll be. I'm sure there'll be. I'm sure there'll be some who want to count the X's. Not that there'll be many of those. I wouldn't expect. And uh, and I did see some idiot uh, posted on Twitter uh, had, had scrawled in the name Dan Andrews instead of yes or no. Um, <clears throat> and so that clearly will not be counted. And that takes us to uh, Dan Andrews wandering off into the sunset, Jack, um, and. Uh, and we know a little bit more about the caucus uh, meeting uh, to select his uh, successor. Uh, well, that <clears> hadn't <throat> taken place when we last spoke. It was well, the, yeah, it had just it had just happened. Yeah, that's right. So, so Jacinda Allen is the uh, well, the left went in hard with Jacinda Allen, who's become the premier, and Tim Pallas, who's the current treasurer, and they wanted him as deputy as well. But that seemed to to die. That would be in breach of party rules, doing that, wouldn't it, Jack? Yeah, well, that was the that was the problem, and and and, and apart from the obvious reason for Dan to go so quickly because of his smoking, um, uh, that the reason why he went, um, uh, you know, I, I will be no longer the premier or member for Mulgrave at five o'clock tomorrow, um, was to try and. Um, uh, bludgeon and bully his way to get both Alan and Tim Pallas um, uh, as leader and deputy leader, but that fell over because the right um, stung the, the the right faction. They dug their heels in a bit. They yes, dug their heels say. in and says, "Well, you're breaching the rules um, because the rules say that we've got to have at least three days before nominations for the leader, um, and we've got to have a whole process that could take a month." Um, and um, uh, and unless you give us the deputy premiership, um, we'll bung on that blue and the whole thing will collapse in, um, uh, in an embarrassing shambles. Um, so they got away with that. Um, Plenty of swearing. Uh, yeah, I, I'm told that 
Dan was getting very fruity uh, in the caucus meeting. Basically said to them, well, uh, this is uh, from an insider, someone in the meeting, Daniel exploded. His rant was second to none. It was fucking this, fucking that. He basically said to them, you all have the right to aspire to be promoted. You don't have the right to bring divisions into this room. So uh, it's basically, it's, it's, it's back me, but you can't sack me. Um, yeah, it's just a reminder that um, even in, in, in a parliamentary democracy, when you think a, a parliamentary leader um, like Dan Andrews has absolute authority, that authority disappears the moment they're no longer the leader because they've got no promises they can that they can stick to and their threats are empty. Right. The power is gone. Magically power, just disappears. The power is gone. Instantaneously the power is gone. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's absolutely right because they can't give you that promotion anymore. Yeah, or, and, they or, can, and conversely, and they, can't they can't hold the threat of sacking you no. anymore. So yeah, the power just disappears. Um, <coughs> I did notice it's, someone. It's, it's all based on bluff. That absolute authority they have is based upon bluff. And if someone's game enough to call it out and win, the power goes away. It seems to me to be a more sensible approach the way it ended up anyway. I mean, sensible and, in, and not no longer in breach of party rules. Um, and it would seem that Jacinta Allen is going to be perhaps more um, inclusive within within the media than, than Dan was. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and it just seems that there might just be a little bit of a let-off. I, I read some, you know, there were, you know, just a, an absolute uh, buck of gallons of ink spread around on op-eds about Dan, including the fact that he had bankrupted near or sometimes sometimes explained as near bankruptcy or just straight out bankruptcy. Michael Kroger described Victoria as being bankrupt. Um, have you looked at the debt, Jack? Because it's, it's bad, but it's not, it's not bankruptcy. No, he left. He left a few problems behind, mm. um, and if there was a weakness in in the government, it was that he was given too much authority, too much power in his office, and the fact that they've ended up with a um, a deputy from the right faction and a promise to be a more inclusive and open government will improve government in in Victoria. Because yeah, almost all the things that went wrong, and there were a few that went wrong, there always are things that go wrong in a government. But the things that went wrong went wrong because that of, of excessive power um, in one office. Yeah, you tend to find that, don't you, when there's uh, unrestrained power. Um, uh, you just don't have that sort of uh, collusion, that uh, uh, not collusion, that's probably not the right word, but that, that you know, cooperative decisions made. Uh, that can iron out some of the some of the chinks and some of the some of the kinks and some of the problems there. Um, hey, hey, can I just say that was a failure of the Labor Party? It was the fa- failure of the comrades within the party. The party generally works better than that, but on this occasion it didn't. It la- it allowed you to have too much power. Normally, in the Labor Party things you know, long experience um, uh, being a player in there. Things are. Um, Things are, are tougher than that, you know. Um, if you, you, you get a bit beyond your a bit too bit too big for your boots, someone normally knocks you off, um, and that didn't happen. It probably should. Yeah, look, I'll, just to, just to explain, uh, just further on that indebtedness uh, and bankruptcy, which is just complete nonsense. Um, uh, the New South Wales and and Victorian 
public debts are, are running around about the same at the moment. Obviously, New South Wales is a bigger state, so that's not a great thing. And the, and the way things are now that we have uh, we've had both state budgets being handed down is that uh, Victoria, without dealing with uh, with with uh, with the amount of debt that it currently has, will 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 surpass New South Wales uh, over the next uh, two years. Um, so there is an issue there, and and Palace or whoever succeeds him, and there's some talk that Tim Palace will leave the Parliament fairly soon himself. Um, uh, we'll have to deal with uh, with that business, and that's either a that's either a tax or a cut exercise. Yeah. All right. Well. And regardless of what you think of Dan and what's going on in Victoria right now, at least there is a government. Does the Tasmanian government still exist, Jack? I guess it does, maybe just in name only. Well, um, the Premier still has the um, uh, the authority uh, granted. So, so, well, we're not sure, but, but it hasn't been tested yet. Yeah, it hasn't been tested yet. Um, it's Tasmanian politics is always... An odd place. I mean, it's bigger than the ACT, I suppose, but not by much. Um, it's sort of sort of a combination of a state government and a local council. Yeah. Well, what we have there for listeners who aren't aware of it is explosive text messages appear to show Tasmanian Attorney General Elise Archer attacking her, in quotes, gutless Premier Jeremy Rockliffe and his glass jaw. That's another quote. Predecessor Peter Goodman and a female colleague's, colleague's love life. Now, the leaked text came as the most senior woman in the Tasmanian government and the high, highest-ranking female Liberal uh, office holder in the country. Whew. Gee whiz, that tells you a fair bit about the Liberal Party at the moment. Faces an independent inquiry into allegations of bullying and belittling behaviour. Had a look at some of those allegations, Jack. They're fairly strong. Anyway, uh, the Australian broke the inquiry um, and Mr Rockliffe confirmed the probe. Uh, then the Attorney General walked out. She was going to resign, but she decided. Oh, hang on! She did this, did a little bit of maths, got the coaster out, did a bit of uh, did a bit of work there, and then decided. Oh, hang on! If I sit in the crossbenches, I can roll the government. And 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 now she's threatening to do just that, uh, and that she will support a, a vote of no confidence in Rockliffe. Uh, when uh, when I think they're sitting now, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are. Um, I, I read the text messages that were um, sort of derogatory of uh, of her colleagues in the cabinet, um, and I couldn't see what the fuss was about. Um, I've certainly heard um, Labor ministers um, describe other Labor ministers in far more fruity language than that. Yeah, the bullying stuff's a bit, a bit. The bullying stuff's di- a different question. It yeah, might it, be, it is. That's right. Yeah. So yes, look, calling someone having a glass jaw, and and another one is gutless is probably, you know, it's just uh, it's just part of the part of the political uh, rigor, Jack. Um, even even in the best government of our lifetime, the Bob Hawke government, um, <laughs> you could regularly hear some uh, fairly strong descriptions of cabinet colleagues. Who puts these? Te- I mean, who's silly enough to put these things in a text, Jack? Yeah, I, here's I the mean, fun. 
there are there are a number of uh, there are, and and some of them use wicker and they dissolve and and they're encrypted and all this sort of stuff. They should take a leaf out of the uh, out of some of the gangsters running around in Sydney and Melbourne at the moment and use <laughs> use a use a text communication that is encrypted and disappears after a fixed period of time. Um, but um, and, and there are a number. Think of, they should think they should all have burner phones, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that that could come with its own share of problems. So, what's going to happen? What's your guess? I mean, it's hard to know oh, just on the ground, know. but it just it, it, when we when we look at Tasmanian elections and they use the similar system to the uh, you know to the to the way the Senate uh, is elected, um, um, uh, uh, it's it very very difficult for Labor to get a majority with their with their primary vote. Um, and uh, because a lot of it bleeds to the Greens and so forth. So the Greens and Labor have a fair amount of representation, but it, it would need a major shake-up for Labor uh, to be uh, installed as in majority, possibly with the Greens. But um, it's very likely that this will end in an election in Tasmania, Jack. Yeah, quite probably. Um, it's a bit like a schoolyard spat, though, really, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it is. But I just love uh, that the former Attorney General has looked around and gone, oh, no, I'm not going to resign. I'm going to stay here and cause more trouble, mm. uh, and including supporting uh, support for a, a vote that would almost certainly see the government um, booted out and having to... to uh, uh, having to go and uh, call uh, call the governor for uh, for a new election, um, but they, you- they, they they shouldn't have pushed her out because of the uh, because of the text messages. What they should have done was hauled her in and say, "There's a problem in your office. Fix that. Don't give a damn what you say to say about me behind my back or in front of me, for that matter." And guess let's get on with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, politics is. After all, a fair bit about uh, personalities too. So you would say Mr. Rockliffe might have a bit of a glass jaw, although that uh, allegation was made uh, about his predecessor, Jack. Um, yeah. Well, they're going to have to harden up if they're going to play. Hard, harden up, harden up the Liberal Party in Tasmania. Jesus Christ. Anyway, Jack, um, Simon Holmes at court is backing nuclear power, Jack. Well, not now, but maybe in 2040. What do you think? Uh, he's backing the the young fellow who was on Q and A last week, uh, the week before. So. I saw him. Yeah, oh, yeah. God. There is uh, look. Got to give the kid credit. He absolutely wiped the floor with the government minister. It was poor old Chris Bowen's worst uh, of his life. I think um, the, when you get out debated by a seventeen year old on, on national television. Um, the, well, uh, it, it's it's. It, let me put it this way, Jack. It's actually the easiest thing in the world to get knocked over by a seventeen-year-old on a show like you and I, because he's going to have that seventeen-year-old kid is going to have the support of the audience against the minister of the crown. So, regardless of what's said, he's already starting a mile in front. But go on. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, Chris Bowen, to his credit, was out next day like Comical Ali um, from the Iraq War saying it went really well, you know, uh, because on Twitter next day, so he thought it had gone really well. And that did amuse me. Um, what Simon Holmes, of court, is saying is there's no justification for a ban on nuclear power in Australia. And he's, he adds that that doesn't mean um, that it's likely that anything will be built because he doesn't think the technology is ready yet. But he thinks the ban should go away um, and the, the, the technological aspects of it will sort out whether we, whether we use it or not. 
Right, yes, and and that's that's a fairly reasonable position. It's, it's, it's a common sense point of view, isn't it? it, it, it yeah, look, I, I'm not opposed to nuclear power in principle, and I would have taken that 17-year-old out the back and given him a slapping and then put him back in his chair and just torn him apart uh, and become uh, the worst well, person in Australia in doing so. But what, uh, what we've, I love we've talked what, about why this doesn't work, and and and. And just a reminder to listeners, it was the Howard government that banned nuclear power yep. in Australia, and that was done in 1998. But um, but what the the coalition has now gone uh, uh, for all these small modular reactors that really at this stage don't look much more than really just architects' drawings. Um, there are, I think from memory, there is a small modular reactor on board a ship in Russia, in, in Arctic Russia, um, and I think there is one being built, and I think Bill Gates has something to do with it, uh, somewhere up in Montana, possibly, certainly up in the, uh, the northwest of uh, the United States. Uh, and, and other than that, they're pretty thin on the ground, these small modular, modular reactors, and you just think, mate, that's not really a basis for any sort of government, or, well, opposition policy. Um, but, yeah, the, the ban, we can talk about it. No one's going to... The real politic of this is that no one's going to go anywhere near this anytime soon. Um, Albanese, would, you know, certainly, certainly not on his to-do list. No, but I think getting rid of the ban would be a good idea. Um, okay, well, we do produce a lot of uranium here, but we've gone through, um, and we don't need to go through it, why the difficulty is essentially with any, even a small modular reactor is you're going to need water. And water can be a bit hard to come by in Australia, and I think it's going to be a bit hard to come by later on in this year. Um, uh, over to the United States now, Jack. Uh, Diane Feinstein passed away, and it gave rise to very strange proposition that Meghan Markle might replace her, Jack. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. And, and look, do you think perhaps that story might have been planted by Meghan Markle? <laughs> I, my first thought of this was, oh, no, no, this is a media hit job. That's what I thought. That's what I honestly thought. Um, uh, maybe it's maybe it's, maybe it's it's her PR uh, a mob uh, yeah. working overtime. That's what it looked like to me. Uh, I actually thought it was a complete media, you know, non-story. You know, they just sort of yeah, made no, it up. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, but, but she's sort of um, desperate to get a bit of relevance. So. Uh, what anyway, have we got the, here? It, the, it the, no, sorry, go on. The governor has appointed um, uh, the head of Emily's List. Uh, her name is LaFonce Butler. LaFonza. Uh, LaFonza uh, Butler, yes. LaFonda Butler um, to be the um, uh, senator... Senator uh, for the next thirteen months. Yes. Uh, um, in which, uh, but uh, Feinstein's seat. You know, in, in the United States, um, you come up for re-election every second um, uh, time. So yes. Um, uh, on this occasion, it's Feinstein's seat that comes up for re-election, um, and there is a, um, uh, a, a some vigorous campaigning going on to, to replace Feinstein from the time that she announced that she was going to no longer be the senator from the end of next year. Um, uh, Adam Schiff, um, a congressman from um, from California, and uh, Barbara Lee, another congressperson from 
California uh, are the two leading candidates. And the question was, Barbara Lee had the expectation that Newsom would nominate her to fill the, um, the short-term position, uh, and he declined to do so, I think because he didn't want to be seen to be putting his thumb on the scales for the battle against Adam Schiff. Uh, yes, it would seem like uh, Gavin Newsom has moved fairly quickly uh, to deal with it, Jack. Um, uh, we'll get back to San Francisco in a moment, but uh, we did see... Uh, uh, amus- Don- amusingly, the, the, the incoming senator lives in Maryland. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, he's not a California Democrat, Jack. Yeah, that's got to be a bonus. It's got to be a bonus. Um, uh, we, we did see the Trumpster uh, in, the, in the courts yesterday, uh, while we're all having lovely public public holidays, you and me both, uh, and uh, the Donald was there, um, and I did see someone had painted an image of him. You know, one of those court and those these uh, you know uh, court artists illustrations with Jesus next to him, uh, painted in little Jesus. Because you know, how could he have got this far without the help of someone really significant? Um, how's that all looking? Two hundred and fifty million dollar potential loss for him and the loss of the the ability to trade in the state of New York, Jack? Yeah, I, I just don't think this will this will stand up on appeal. So, so you think uh, he may lose, but then he'll get it up, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll wander away. Uh, yeah. I, I, did, I did see that uh, the judge had valued, uh, and this has been a uh, contentious point, uh, the, 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 the judge had valued... Well, someone in his office had valued uh, Murray Lago at eighteen million. Jack seems a little light, although the Trumpster reckons it's worth a billion and a half, which is probably a little uh, heavy. That, that might be a little high, a little heavy. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in the middle, um, somewhere uh, in the middle but, there. Uh, I don't think the Court of Appeal are going to agree um, that um, uh, inflating the values of your properties to, in order to get loans is is. Um, an offence that deserves this sort of punishment, um, especially in a city like New York. Um, everyone would be out of business if that was the case. Um, Trump just might be the most egregious at that, but it's it's widespread. Um, and I, don't, I think there's no political cost for him either. Uh, in Roll- Rolling Stone, uh, just to add, has just uh, weighed in uh, uh, with a suggestion that there may be another indictment, Jack, this time in Arizona uh, in regard to... Uh, um, electoral fraud that went on into 2022 from the Trump camp, allegedly. They are determined to make him the nominee, aren't they? <laughs> well, uh, the latest bit of polling, not much polling. There hasn't been any polling on The Voice, by the way. We, sh- we should have said that outset, but latest bit of polling that I looked at was a YouGov poll that had Biden ahead by five. Um, but that's going back and forth all the time. Um, and we're just going to see, we're just going to have to see uh, how the Trumpster gets on in these uh, indictments, uh, the two significant ones in March uh, next year. Meanwhile, Jack, oh, Elon Musk got all over this, didn't he? This is it. We're now going into uh, into Europe, uh, and the Italian Prime Minister, Giorgia Maloney, has written to German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, telling him she learned with astonishment, and that's a quote, of a German government initiative to finance migrant charity groups operating in the Mediterranean. And this was the subject of Elon Musk's uh, tweets, tweeting, he's in a bit of strife over some of that tweeting, Jack, Um, uh, suggesting that, uh, oh, I wondered if the German people know about this. 
and then started promoting more right-wing ideas and, and suggesting it would be a good thing if the ADF was elected. The far-right ADF was re-elected in Germany. Oh, what could possibly go wrong there? Um, and uh, the German Foreign Office replied to Elon Musk in regard to this matter by saying these, these initiatives save lives. And that was where it ended. But in the meantime, the Italians are a little bit upset because they're bearing the brunt of really significant numbers coming onto their shores at the moment. They are, and they're not happy about it. They're not very happy at all. So we've got arrivals this year in, in Italy at 133,000, uh, which is almost twice that of the same period last year, Jack. And just so we're clear, what they're not happy about is that there are I think eight or nine, um, possibly ten ships in the Mediterranean that are chartered, yeah. chartered by German-funded NGOs, in fact partly funded by the German government, that are basically sailing over to the, uh, the, the shores of Tripoli so that people can get on a boat, go a short little way, they get, it, they get picked up by the NGO ships and dropped at Lampedusa or um, Bari or one of the, one of the ports in the south of Italy, um, and uh, uh, that effectively makes those NGOs part of the people smuggling chain, in my view, um, and the Italians are, are, are quite quite rightly. Well, I would need to see some evidence that they were that they were sailing all the way to Tripoli, Jane. Um, f- to see well, most e- of the way. Well, I'll need to see some evidence about that because that would support your claim. But 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 basically, as it stands, as I said before. Um, the German foreign ministry said it is a legal humanitarian and moral duty um, to uh, rescue people at sea, which is true. Yeah, and, and, and the Italians will be very, very quickly saying, well, okay, you can save their lives, pick them up, and you can take them to Germany. Uh, well, they have undertaken it. They're not doing that, of course, but uh, they did undertake it to, to and, and did so successfully, Jack. I remember you, I remember you running around like Chicken Little... Walls were going to roofs were going to collapse and what have you when uh, when they agreed to take on a, a million Syrian uh, and, and it hasn't gone at all well. It hasn't gone badly, Jack. I mean, it hadn't gone badly as you suggested it was going to. You, you were talking about fabric of society being rent asunder. Maybe, maybe one of the consequences of it is that we do have this um, uh, life breathed into uh, into the extreme right in Germany. Uh, that might be one of the consequences of it. Um, but overall, the sort of um, uh, the sort of uh, social calamities that were rec- that were that were forecast uh, at the time just haven't been they just haven't come to pass. Um, well, I'm not sure the calamities, but it's it's not a good situation. Well, uh, anyway, it certainly hasn't brought to, with it uh, any, you know, basically there were people around. I'm not suggesting it was you. I mean, I do you know you were a bit of a doomsday scroller at that time, but there were, there were others who were suggesting that basically Germany would collapse, Europe would collapse. Uh, this is all part of this entire Islamification of uh, Europe uh, argument, Jack, but none of that sort of stuff has come to pass. Um, meanwhile, in France, Jack, no, if you want to know what precisely I said was you can't take a million people into a country like Germany when you have not yet assimilated or integrated the Turkish guest workers who arrived after the war. The Germans and the French have no understanding at all of how to make multiculturalism I do work. remember you making that point, but there are other things 
that were suggested by other commentators uh, that were, you know, that basically the, 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 the roof was going to come in, you know, the sky was going to fall. And, and those things haven't happened. And really, given what we understand about Syria, the, the you know, first thing is that the Germans played the diplomacy terribly, terribly wrong with, with Russia, uh, who were propelling and, and supporting uh, the awful Assad regime in in, uh, in Syria, and I guess we could also throw in that Barack Obama drew the the, the do not cross line, and then uh, the, and the Syrians and the Russians did and nothing happened. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, um, in in France, Jack, forty one percent of the French population is in favour of a proposal to limit everyone to four flights in their entire life. And 59% of the 18 to 24-year-old demographic agree with that. Two return flights. That's enough, isn't it, for anyone? anyone? Yeah. Uh, well, well I'm, I'm a bit of a non-flyer these days, so it doesn't really affect me. <laughs> Flew for the first time about, uh, about three weeks ago. Um, uh, a, a, a mate calls me the Greta Thunberg of Hong Kong. I don't fly <laughs> anywhere. You know? It does seem a bit odd. Um, that, uh, that that anyone could be limited to this, um, uh, and it's going to. Well, I suppose we have the technology to get around the Jack Zoom calls and what have you, um, uh, FaceTimes and all that sort of stuff. This is something that would never be countenanced. But it's an interesting poll, isn't it? I, I think it's very interesting to say what young people, because well, eighteen to twenty-four year olds, I presume, don't fly as much as uh, as uh, as uh, their older counterparts might. So. Um, so Gee, I don't know. All, all the eighteen to twenty-four year olds, and are always flying somewhere. Eighteen to twenty-four is probably a bit young. I think when you're getting into that later twenties, early thirties. But yeah, no, no, fair enough. Eighteen to twenty-four year olds, they just want to travel, um, but they might have to do it by bus, Jack. Yeah, um, that's, a pro- that's a problem if you're from Australia, really, isn't it? You know, the, it is a bit of a problem. Uh, you're going to need uh, you're going to need something that's going to be a fairly fairly seaworthy. Um, Meanwhile, uh, the BBC has come up with new rules for social media use for its uh, presenters, commentators, workers, employees, etc. Flagship presenters like Gary Lineker, who was bounced out of the BBC or suspended for a week. I think it was only about a week, wasn't it? Uh, well, one match, I think. Yeah, yeah it was uproar, and uh, they, was, they let him back on. And as usual, the BBC didn't quite know what to do. It, but they've come up with a new policy now. And they say, look, just go nuts. Just if you are free to express opinions about the issues that matter to you, including issues that may be the subject of public and political debate. Again, don't have a problem with any of this. Uh, no, 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 no. I, 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 in fact, uh, the, I, I whacked in a piece on our document um, from a, a commentator in England saying that at first. Uh, she was thought, thought this is a terrible idea, and now she thinks it's a good idea because at least then, then we know what people think. This would work really well at the ABC, and it would solve some of the Twitter problems um, that some of the, um, the the lunatic left have with Twitter of imagining that everybody at the ABC has turned into a pro um, liberal national party stooge. Um, there is a sense too from. You know, I mean, Lineker, Lineker's a soccer caller, and he and he is a guy with a profound social conscience, and and um, and a man who's who's done a lot of work with refugees in particular. Um, but uh, uh, you would find most journalists are not 
keen, particularly political journalists, are not keen to have it known who they support uh, or their political philosophies um, um, made so public as a Twitter forum or something like that. Um, uh, and so I think a lot of people will be reluctant to do it. Mm. Um, but I think it's a, I think it's a it's a sensible move. Um, uh, you know, there is a sense of restraint on um, on uh, particularly ABC and BBC journalists about actually who and what they believe, and and maybe those are personal things. But I think when you get to when you get to someone who wants to be outspoken, big deal. Certainly shouldn't see them thrown off air, unless you come up with something that was a bit fruity, Jack. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I quite enjoy looking at the Twitter feeds of, of the ABC um, uh, uh, pundits in Australia because, with a, a few a few notable exceptions, uh, your pal Lee Sales, um, all most of the rest of them seem to have exactly the same view on almost everything. Yeah, there's a bit of a bit of that going on. I suspect it's it's all pretty harmless until it starts getting into news reporting. And that's when it's a bit of a problem, Jack, I think. And that's the, that goes for all media organisations. When they're reporting on, when, they, when you are looking at straight reports of any matter that arises in Australia, that's the way it should be written. And people can op-ed around that as much as they like. Yeah. Uh, Part of the problem with that is that there's a... Um, uh, a little bit of a blurring of the line of those two things, particularly on um, on uh, on radio and television. In the newspaper, it's, it's relatively straightforward because you have your reporting section and you have your op-ed section. Um, that distinction is a little more blurry when you're on television or on the radio. It is a bit, yeah, that's right. Uh, and look, we do we do have these issues that arise through media, you know, sometimes it's impossible to tell what's advertising and what's not. Yes. Um, those sorts of things. And they should be clearly marked. Uh, and opinions should be clearly marked as well. Um, the whereas, UK, whereas in the Australian, you have the op-ed page, you know, so you know what got, you're reading. There's a big O and then there's yeah. a big P and then there's yeah. an I, yeah. etc. Yeah. after it. And if you don't read that, I'm afraid... I'm afraid uh, you're uh, you're a bit stupid. Um, yeah, we're, we're, so that that distinction just isn't quite so clear with the television and the radio. It, it, yeah, it, it, it's it's not, and sometimes it needs to be said. You know, this is comment. Um, the UK, Jack, uh, also going down a similar path to Australian classrooms. Um, mobiles yeah, are I, to be. I, ha- I hadn't been aware this had happened in Australia. I know yeah, it from been, the UK. Well. Uh, Dan, dictator Dan, snuck it in during the pandemic, mate. Yeah. They have been banned in uh, state uh, in the state system, and I'm not quite sure how it works with the independent schools. But but certainly in the in the state system, the ban has been in place in Victoria since 2021. Uh, and I think uh, uh, WA and TAS pretty much at the same time. New South Wales men's government has brought in something which will kick in at the, in term four, so late this year. Uh, mobiles to be banned in uh, in classrooms, um, and uh, and I think you know we're we're a little bit ahead here. One of the things I wanted to talk about with that, Jack, is that we, we're going to take phones off kids, and we all, as uh, crusty old white men, we all think uh, that's a terrific idea. These kids uh, should be off their screens for a while, 
Then I started looking at the number of offences that occur to people, adults, driving their cars who uh, use their phones, uh, not hands-free. Um, $60 million worth of fines uh, extracted from uh, from drivers last year. So we're actually saying to kids, get rid of your mobiles, and I think that's quite sensible while you're in, while you're in a classroom. Uh, and uh, leave them, uh, there'll be little lockers and, you know, everyone's everyone's got this set up right now. Um, but as adults, we can't seem to let our phones go at all. No, we can't. Um, and it's as much as the kids, it's the adults who want their school kids to have phones so they can be contactable. Uh, personally, um, uh, I don't think I would have appreciated that when I was a school kid. I, I didn't necessarily want to know I want my parents to know exactly what I was doing and where I was at all times. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, I, even, and I was away at boarding school and I didn't want the boarding school to know where I was and what I was up to at all times. So, I have seen a few TikToks of students uh, in American high schools where, where they're just flipping through the phone while the teacher speaks. And um, yeah. that's not good. Um, but at the same time, it would seem that uh, just a fantastic piece of adult hypocrisy, Jack, uh, we, we're running around causing all sorts of mayhem on the roads because we can't let our phone. We can't let a phone call go without responding to it. We yeah, can't, well, um, can't let a text go. Or, yeah. Well, 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 being a, um, a more green person than yourself and being more careful of my carbon footprint and not being a driver of cars, uh, that's not a problem for me. But generally speaking, I won't <laughs> answer the phone in a taxi because uh, it's rude, uh, isn't it? It's just rude, and it, it, you also lose them. You take it out of your take it out of your pocket. Yeah, and, uh, good point. And practical, practical stuff. I, I won't. I won't. I will take a phone call on a train, um, um, but I'll just simply say, "Listen, I'm just on a train. Can I call you back?" I, I, I consider that to be an incredibly rude thing to do, where people have very loud, voluble conversations uh, in a public space like a train carriage. I, I think that's. Yeah, that is just awful. So maybe, maybe we should have a few government people say, "Right, give us your phone. Yeah, well, you can get it back when the train rides over." Um, uh, meanwhile, Jack, uh, the Canadians uh, uh, um, uh, 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 basically um, uh, are looking at online, well, expanding online censorship schemes, or, or the, announcing that all online streaming services that offer podcasts. Well, that's us, Jack. Must formally register with the government to permit uh, regulatory controls. Whew, that sounds dark. Um, Canada's becoming the least liberal, liberal democracy in the world. Oh, it's got some challenges there. But, uh, yes, it, it may well be this sort of stuff. It's just clearly overreach. Um and is it is it just that they don't know what they're doing? Are they looking at things like Spotify and saying, well, you know, you've got to register with us rather than meek, mild uh, little players like you and me, Jack? Uh, hard to know. Um, uh, but it, it's, it's hard to find a, a, a reasonable justification for this. I can't find one. Yeah, so it's called the Canadian Radio, Canadian Radio Television and Telecommunications Commission. Uh, the CRTC on, on, May tw- on May 12 this year launched its first public consultations after thoroughly examining all the evidence on the public record, including over 200 interventions. The CRTC is issuing its first two decisions. First, uh, it's setting out which, which online streaming services need to provide information about their activities in Canada. 
Second, the CRTC is setting conditions for online streaming services to operate in Canada. These conditions take effect today, uh, and that's just uh, as we record this last week, um, uh, require certain online streaming services to provide the CRTC with information related to their content and subscribership. That's a bit much. The decision also requires those services to make content available in a way that is not tied to a specific mobile or internet service. Uh, and a third consultation is ongoing, Jack. Yeah. Uh, I, as I said, I can't find a justification for doing this apart from government wanting to interfere with what people say to each other. All right. Yeah, I don't uh, like the sound of it too much uh, either myself. But, uh, look, we had a huge weekend of sport uh, here, Jack, in, in Australia. Um, uh, uh, first off, uh, the AFL Grand Final, traditional Saturday afternoon, uh, fantastic game of football, one of the best games of football I've seen, full stop, let alone Grand Finals. Um, in the end, Collingwood were just a bit harder for a little bit longer and uh, and they won the game by four points. Uh, wonderful showcase for the game. And, I, and, and congratulations to the Collingwood Football Club, who have actually undergone, very quietly gone about a cultural change, uh, only for the better, and that's been led essentially by their coach, who uh, is, uh, as we discussed uh, on WhatsApp over the weekend, the coach of the year, uh, in my opinion. Well, it was a coaching triumph. I, I, I think, to, to be fair, some of the culture change started before Bucks left, um, but... The, um, it's a coaching triumph because really um, uh, Brisbane are a considerably more talented team than, uh, than Collingwood. On paper, yeah. On an on-paper assessment, you look at them, and, and this is why I thought they could win even late into the game because they just seem to be able to kick their goals a little bit easier, and that's yeah, because well, of that well, talent. Well, they had, they had five or six blokes out there who kicked 20 more goals a year. Collingwood had three, mm. uh, which makes a difference. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, but Collingwood, they don't have a, a, a key forward at all, really. Um, they didn't have one playing. They had a bloke playing, a defender playing a defensive role on Harris Andrews. They don't have an A-grade Ruckman. Um, uh, and and that, really, still- that, that really didn't work. I'd suggest to you that, that well, there's a question I want to put to you, and, and this is the start of it, that that wasn't Collingwood's best 23. No. By some margin, there'd be three or four blokes that were unhappy, to, that, that missed out, and, and it was really quite sad to see one of uh, – uh, one of the Collingwood players who missed through injury, uh, former, uh, former Taylor Adams, yeah, Taylor Adams, former former GWS Giant player, um, sobbing openly on the ground afterwards. Do we need and why hasn't this been done already? Do we need to basically award the squad with medals? Um, uh, Wayne Carey um, was talking about this yesterday or the day before, um, and he said, look, maybe it's not if you play one game for the season, but once you get to a certain number of games, everybody in the squad should 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 get a medal because you don't win it without the squad. Well, that's, that's what they do in the basketball uh, at, the, at the top level in, um, in, uh, in the US, Jack. Uh, yep. The squad gets the medal, not just those, uh, not just those good players and substitutes. So I think it's something that the AFL definitely needs to look at. Um, definitely, yeah, but, it wasn't, but certainly, a, 
certainly a coaching triumph for Fly yeah. uh, McRae and his mob um, because you know it's there's always something magic about watching the least talented, the, the lesser talented team uh, manage to get a win. Um, also, um, uh, I did see uh, some good photos of uh, of the Collingwood coach Craig McRae. <clears throat> Basically, he was there to. Uh, I think it would have been a Sunday morning fairly early, possibly a Monday, but uh, fairly early. And there he was for the Brisbane Lions 20th anniversary of their 2003 premiership. And there was Vossi and Lee Matthews and all the gang, and there he was. At the birth uh, Sunday, of his- uh, Sunday at some stage it was. Um, um, I saw an interview with John O'Brown about it, and he said, yeah, um, uh, he said, uh, Lepich and um, and McRae arrived, and it was like um, Apollo Creed being carried into the ring. They got such a huge reception when they when they were. <laughs> well, Justin here. Justin Lepich has been uh, an assistant coach at uh, at Richmond and Collingwood, so he yes. and well well used to winning premierships by now. Uh, done and, and I believe one of those really rock solid people. Um, so. Yeah, look, it he, he really, had a sh- short and unhappy period as coach for the Lions himself. That's right. Yeah, when they were on the down. Uh, I, I, look, I think uh, I think uh, McRae's done a wonderful job. I think the captain did a wonderful job. Showed really, it showed immense on field leadership. Um, Darcy Moore and uh, and and Collingwood. There's no doubt weren't the most talented side in the competition. But uh, got the they best were, out of they were the, they were the best, best team. Yeah, best the best team, team in the competition yeah. without having. Um, I, I might say uh, I saw the best last quarter from the former captain, um, uh, uh, Pendles, the best last quarter of grand final football they could have ever seen. Yeah, been pretty quiet uh, for Pendlebury, uh, for him um, uh, in the first three quarters. But uh, I think he had eleven in the in the uh, in the last one. Really, just. Yeah, not so much picked him up and put him on his shoulder, but really just made that significant contribution. Uh, do you think he'll play on? Yes, I think he will. He's going well enough. I think he will. He's certainly getting going well. Going well enough to get a game, isn't he? Uh, he, um, he? He and Sidebottom both still going well enough. Now uh, we do apologise. A little bit of construction noise uh, in yeah. the background there, Jack. What have we got? Seems like they're rolling stuff around. No, like, no, no. They're, rolling um, billiard they're, balls they're, they're, around, uh, on your floor. I think it's. Uh, one flat above us or two flats above us and they're uh, jackhammering um, uh, out some um, uh, some existing walls. No, yeah, we do apologise for that. But uh, unexpectedly, we'll keep, I might have. We'll, we'll keep going. Uh, it's the first of our recordings since Australia, well, good states in Australia, brought in, um, brought in uh, daylight saving. Uh, so we, uh, <coughs> we, we're a little bit delayed. We might have to start, get you out a bit, a bit earlier next week, mate. Um, but the NRL... Uh, not uh, not satisfied to be out of the AFL with a great grand final. The NRL came up with something spectacular as well, and and that was, gee, it looked. And I was texting a mate who's a Broncos fan and saying, mate, you, and he's also Collingwood Barrack, and he said, mate, you got the double because uh, they just looked like they were going to roll all over them. And then Nathan Cleary stepped up. Um, yeah, we, um, I, I watched the second half with an American mate who just just arrived back from uh, four months over there, and he said, "Can we have a beer and watch this NRL stuff?" I said, "Yeah, yeah." So I went down, and uh, with twenty minutes to go, he says, "It's all over, isn't it?" I said, "Oh no, um, I, you know they're capable of winning from here, but they're going to have to going to have to play really well," um, and they did. 
Yeah, look, they certainly did. And um, uh, we've got a little message from our good mate Ray, uh, bass man Jack, uh, <clears throat> and he says that Adam Reynolds, I don't know what I want to read this, it's putting a lot on Adam Reynolds, who uh, unfortunately has, has lost two grand finals to the Panthers, once as a South player and and uh, and, and the second one as a Bronco. Uh, he said he handed the grand final to the Panthers. Virtually every time he did a short kickoff, the Panthers scored points. Their first try from a short kickoff that in the end cost the Broncos the premiership. The ball bounced in favour of the Panthers and a soft try resulted. Many more points were to come from this failed tactic. Territorial advantage is everything when two grand final teams are evenly matched. And at every opportunity, the Broncos should have booted the ball into Penrith's half far and as often as possible with a 24-8 to lead. The Broncos should have pissed this in. Mm. Great to see the trophy in New South Wales, says Baseman. Um, um, I think that's a bit harsh. Uh, I don't know. I don't normally follow the in-match betting, um, but I uh, heard this story and, I'm, and I've checked that it's true. Um, at, at the with twenty minutes to go, the betting for the Clive Churchill Medal um, had Nathan Cleary at fifty dollars. Wow! Um, uh, and and he said yesterday when someone asked him, "Was that the best twenty minutes of rugby a rugby league you played?" And he says, "Yeah, maybe, but the twenty minutes before was about yeah. worst <laughs> I played." Um, uh, yeah. um, I, I think in that period, the twenty-year-old fullback from Queensland picked out who we would run out. Um, uh, in defence and chose Nathan Cleary and stacked him, um, uh, which you don't, don't normally see. So, yeah, so uh, 50 to oh. 1, you could have got Nathan Cleary for the Churchill with 20 minutes to go. 20 minutes to go. And then there was the 40 20. There was, uh, and, and uh, uh, um, uh, he, he basically. Uh, Try assists, I think probably three try assists and scored one yeah, himself. and a try. <laughs> yeah, it's scored the seal. Um, an absolutely marvellous game from him. And yeah, the Panthers, um, they are, well, that's, we've got a three-peat. I don't know why we call it a three-peat and not a hat-trick, Jack. What, can you understand that? Why do we call no, it a three-peat? No, no, it's, um, it's, it's like, it's like um, uh, the AFL people, uh, commentators, talking about people kicking something from downtown. I just can't have it. Can't have it. Or the big dance. Do we have the big yeah, dance? Yeah, no, I can't have that. Enough either. of that. Can't have, no, it. Can't no, have no, any what, of that. Well, I've been a real rugby league fan for about the same time you have, since the early 90s when we started to watch it. So um, in my pantheon of great players, I've seen a lot of great players in that time, but Joey Johns for me was always just a little bit above because he was playing a different game to everybody around him. It, it, you know, he was playing um, – Chess, not drafts. Um, uh, but Nathan Cleary's up there with Joey Johnson. Johnson there, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's almost moved from champion to legend, I think. That might yep. uh, might have been what happened on, on Sunday. Uh, wonderful grand final. I'm just going to make... Now, just uh, one thing. I noticed we'll, we, we stayed around and had a couple of extra beers and we were watching the presentations and about half of the um, Pen, uh, Penrith... Uh, Players were walking off with the uh, walking up with these wreaths all around. Lays, it's a lay. Oh, I thought personally, I, I thought it might have you been. You might have Panther. been a bit boozed by that stage, Jack. I, I, I thought it might have been Panther Pride Week or something, and they were coming out of Sky or something. No, these are lays, and as you know, and I'm sure our listeners do, lays have particular significance uh, throughout the Pacific, um, and. Uh, 
the lays with the little lollies on them that they were wearing, little ornaments yeah. and little lollies. That's a lay that is a, a celebration lay. There okay. So, so how come only some of the players had them? Um, I believe that they were made for them. It wasn't made by the club. It was made by supporters. Okay. Um, so a lot of Islander supporters uh, out that way. Um, it's given Western Sydney a real boost. Um, you know, they, they are a, they are a, a, a very heavy hitters now in the NRL. Uh, I'm just going to make just going to ask you a question, Jack, and this is something I've thought about for a long time. When NRL is good or rugby league is good, it's the, just about the best game to watch, isn't it? Um, when it's a real cracker, and compare that to a real cracker in the AFL, I reckon NRL just just shades just shades it. Uh, yeah, I'm probably still a bit too prejudiced with the AFL. Um, certainly, NRL is made for television. It's played on a rectangular field, um, and nearly all the action takes place across the advantage line, so it's easy to film. Mm. Um, AFL is awfully hard to explain on television to people who haven't seen it live because. They insist upon doing too much close-up work and you can't see what's happening and why. That's really easy to see on an NRL game. So as, as a television game, a great NRL game is better. Yeah, okay, tend to agree with that. I've just, yeah, just seen a few grand finals over the journey and just thought when, they, when, when the NRL is a good game it's, it's, it, or rugby league is a good game, it, it's, yeah, it's just about it's, perfect. It's fantastic. Uh, the, the AFL could fix some of these problems with the television by a bit better direction on the, on the broadcast. I think there's, you know, the, I thought the umpires did well in the AFL grand final, Jack, but um, I, I still think that we're veering, veering off into rugby union territory here but the complexity of rules, uh, and I think it's just becoming a more and more difficult game to umpire uh, yeah. as we go, with umpires having to go through a checklist of about a dozen things before they play a hole in a ball free kick, uh, for example. That's so much grey area around all of that these days. We need to make that game a little bit simpler. You don't want to be like, like I find myself with some rugby mates uh, uh, watching the game, and they've played it, and they don't know what's going on. There's a, the, the ref blows the whistle and, and they don't have a clue. And if they don't have a clue, I don't have a clue. Yeah, I've sat there next to a former Australian captain um, uh, at the old Sydney Football Stadium watching uh, watching a game. Um, and, and he would say the same thing. Oh, mate, no idea. No idea. <laughs> no idea what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. So, look, uh, and while we, while we uh, get into Australia, the Wallabies are still alive, but uh, Portugal uh, would have on to life be. Support. They're, on, they're on life support. Well, they, didn't the Georgians lead Fiji at halftime? I think they did. Yeah, um, they did. There might have been just a just a bit of a whisper. They, they, so of course, Australia got out and beat, uh, got the bonus point against. It was Portugal, wasn't it? Not Georgia. Yeah, it was Portugal, and, and and I think Fiji plays Portugal um, uh, in the game that will determine that Australia come home. And uh, Eddie Jones has been. Uh, he suggested that uh, he give uh, the Fijian squad. His credit card, and they get on the carver and um, turn up, turn up before the game, and might just save his job. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so highly unlikely. What well, you'd probably put that about fifty to one, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, somewhere like that. Uh, Cricket World Cup starting. Uh, Australia played a bit of a knock knockabout game. Rain affected against uh, the Dutch there, and uh, Mitchell Stark picked up a hat trick. Um, in a uh, an abbreviated uh, form of the game, what chance do you give Australia in this, Jack? India, obviously um, hot favourites. 
uh, I think the the locals will win, won't they? Um, uh, I see that the first match is England-New Zealand on Thursday, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it starts this week. That's right. Most of it. And and runs through to about the 19th of October. Sorry, sorry, Jack. And runs through to, I think, the finals about the 19th of October or something, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Or is it further away? Oh, no, it'll be a little bit bit later than that, I would think. But, uh, yeah, um, look, we'll we'll pull that up. You you, you have a crack at that. Uh, 19th of November, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's it's, it's a six-week tournament, I think. So, um, (laughs) it's... um, Australia not without a chance. They've had some issues with the squad. Uh, Smith and Cummins are now back uh, with the squad, both overcoming some injuries uh, sustained during the Ashes campaign. Um, uh, Marnus Labuschagne wasn't in the wasn't in the squad, but now he's sort of a key member. Um, it's kind of just how well I think the real key role uh, will be played by Mitch Marsh. Uh, um, he will. Either open the batting or bat at three, and if he has a blinder, they'll go very, very, very well. Because see, I've I, I never seen anyone hit the ball as hard as Mitchell Mitchell Marsh. Consistently hit the ball harder. All right, what do you like in the racing, Jack? I've been looking at it at all. Um, well, one that we one that I suggested uh, a couple of weeks ago, just fine, one in very nice style at, uh, at Ramwick on Saturday. Um, uh, Amelia's Jewels going okay. The weights are out, and the betting is all for the Melbourne Cup and uh, for the Cox Plate and the Caulfield Cup. And the betting is all with the um, nearly all with the imports who we haven't seen much of yet. So. Well, yeah, none of them had runs, and and, and and some of them won't have a run before the cup. That's what makes it. Difficult. No, they won't. Um, and and I've had a look at their past records in in the UK and France, etc. Um, and really, uh, the, the horses that come over here and succeed are pretty much B graders back in um, uh, back in the UK and France and Ireland. Um, it just goes to show that. Our sprinters are world-class, but our middle-distance and staying horses are just a little bit weaker than they are. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. That, 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 that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, historically, um, uh, and now since we have this large influx of, of uh, horses from overseas, it's the one – the difficulty with the Melbourne Cup is that very few of these horses will have, will have raced in as, as large a field. So that's one thing. Um, so a horse that won't panic uh, when uh, when uh, it's in a horse, when it's in a field of 22, 24. Um, and um, and that, and that's the thing, you know, if they can just get get through the going, because a lot of staying races in uh, in Europe, in particular, are three or four miles. Yeah, and, and, and it, it, what tends to succeed is not the three or four mile horses; it's the fast hurdlers. Um, uh, who come over here and succeed. Yeah. Um, and it, there was a time when Australians used to go to New Zealand and buy Australian horses, but these days they go to Europe. Yeah. Uh, look, still, if you're looking for something in Melbourne Cup Day, folks, and we'll help you out a little bit before that, uh, but uh, if there's any sort of soft going, then have a look at some of the Kiwis. Um, if there's uh, a Kiwi in the field, always not a bad go. All right, Jack, take us out with something stupid. Um, I don't know whether you saw this. Um, thank you, Joe Aston, for putting this up on Twitter. Um, uh, it was the pal. I think it's the Estimates Committee uh, and the General Counsel of Qantas, who I won't name just because it would embarrass him, 
uh, was sitting on the chair and it looked to me he was sitting no, beside Vanessa Hudson and Richard Goiter, the um, chief executive and the chairman, respectively, of Qantas. And he piped up. First of all, he wasn't wearing a tie and really, you know, um, um, you know, lawyers. You know, in, in the old days, a judge would say, I can't see you, Mr. Oyster, you know, if you weren't <laughs> properly attired. Yeah. Um, but he, he piped his head up well, and said, Look, To be fair, it's just the Senate. And uh, I think Ralph Babbitt was uh, sitting in the middle there. So, you know, we, we're not talking about an yeah, illustrious group of people. But, but anyway. It's, it, it's not the individual, it's the title that you've got to respect. Um, anyway, so he pipes up and says, Look, it's 6.30. I think it was on a Friday night. Um, the last flight to Sydney leaves in 35 minutes. And, you know, the implication being, and I want to be on it. Uh, and he was quickly shot down by, um, uh, I can't think who was chairing it. She was very good. Uh, and she gave him a nice old serve and said, look, we're deciding this and we'll be sitting on. But, of yeah. course, on... And well, of course, look, if you're general counsel of Qantas, you could just ring him up and say, can you just pull that plane for an hour? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and because Joe, Joe Aston posted this on Twitter, um, uh, the best comment, you know, lots of res- lots of great responses, but the best one um, uh, came from uh, Richard Callender, um, uh, the uh, the racing journalist, um, uh, son of Kenny Callender. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and Richard's comment was, oh, look, you're flying quite a smart. It'll be two hours later. <laughs> It'll, be It'll be late anyway. Yeah. yeah. No, fair enough. I, I, I think that it's not estimates, by the way. I think this is this Senate inquiry into uh, the uh, allegations of fairly soft treatment for Qantas. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, rather than estimates. They wouldn't have to respond to estimates, of course, because they, well, they're not technically recipients of uh, federal funds. But anyway, uh, Jack, thank you so much for your time. Today we got through a lot of stuff, uh, particularly around the voice. Uh, I don't think you and I see, we'll see eye to eye on it ever, but that's okay. Um, but, of course, listeners, get out there and make your views known. Uh, you can get along and save yourself a bit of time and get along now today and any time thereafter until until about 5 o'clock on the – it might be 6 o'clock on the, on the, uh, the 14th, Saturday the 14th of October, Jack. Uh, about 15 minutes past six, we'll know. Well, I we must tell that story about how Pat Shield failed to vote for himself. Jack uh, got on the booze and uh, wandered up past the, the, the ballot box, but they'd already shut down. But um, uh, And he was on the ticket in Wentworth. But never mind, that's another story for another time. Thank you, listeners, for your time. We threw in uh, Ray's uh, silliness uh, on uh, why there's always got to be someone to blame rather than someone to praise. Um, uh, in the NRL Grand Final, but we do like to hear from you too, so uh, drop us a line if you can. You can get me on uh, at Jack the Insider, at, um, uh, on, on Twitter, X, formerly known as Twitter, and uh, my DMs are always open. Or Jack, you can hit him up, Hong Kong Jack, you can hit him up on Substack. Give it to me, Jack. Uh, HongKongJack.substack.com. I'll remember that one day. And um, uh, uh, so uh, we thank you and uh, we'll look forward to chatting you chatting to you next week when we'll have a little less sport, probably. Yeah.